Mark chapter 8. I'm going to read from verses 34 to uh, 37. And Wednesday night we had, um, we had a midweek service, midweek gathering here. And this has turned into be one of my favorite times of gathering during the week because um, it's very simple. We sit down, we, we share, and then there's like a, just a, um, just a discussion, a hearty, and the discussion actually goes longer than the message. And I love it because um, it just generated so many thoughts about um, what we're looking at in 1 Corinthians. And we hit the topic last um, Wednesday night of the cross and what does it mean to take up your cross. And I want to continue on that. And I left Wednesday night from that time just so stirred up about the power of the cross. And uh, Mark chapter 8, and I'm going to be reading here from uh, an interlinear, so it may not be exactly the way it is in your King James, but Mark chapter 8, verse 34. And here's Jesus. Mark chapter 8, we have to remember, is Jesus is, there's some incredible things that happened in this chapter. Jesus feeds thousands of people. Then he is, then he's healing a blind man. And there are these huge crowds that are starting to gather around him. And then Jesus breaks the news. Guys, um, I have some bad news. I'm going to be falsely accused. I'm going to be delivered up. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to suffer many things, and I'm going to die. And then he talks about, in another place, about his resurrection. And this is really shocking information, because here Jesus is just launching his, I mean, he's launching, and things are really just starting to happen. Miracles are happening. Nobody had ever in, in the history of Israel or human history ever been healed from blindness. This is a major, major thing. And here, here the people are like, they're looking at Christ and they're thinking, hey, this is going to be our deliverer. But they're thinking in another way. They're thinking this is going to be our political liber- uh, liberator. I remember that Israel at the time was under the dominion and the oppression of the Roman Empire. I mean, this was, this was a, brutal, uh, a brutal empire that just was just corrupt. And it was, um, they had a puppet government that was very sympathetic to the Roman government. And so Israel at that time as a nation, as a people, as an ethnic group, were suppressed and they were oppressed. And so the people, and then not only politically oppressed and socially oppressed, but they were also religiously oppressed. There was this religious oppression that was so strong. And it's very interesting to see, like when you see Jesus um, casting out demons and healing people, whenever you see great oppression in a nation or a people group, uh, there's always going to be a lot of demonic activity. There's always going to be, um, there's always going to be uh, the the bondage that people, the the the, the slavery to to sin and to um, uh, brokenness in the human body and to um, and to religion. And so Jesus here is coming and he's doing all of these things and people start getting the idea this is going to be the man who delivers us. He's going to be our savior, political savior. And then Jesus breaks the news. He says, "I have a higher purpose." I have a cross. And I want to just talk about that. What does it mean to deny ourselves and to take up our cross? But I want to speak really practically because I grew up in New England and I went to a very traditional congregational church where there was a lot of slogans and a lot of just wordage that was religious but had no practical application in my life. And so I appreciate, I enjoy um, the practicality of the word. And so Jesus here is summoning the crowd together with his disciples and he said to them, if anyone comes if anyone, wants, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And I want to drill down into those words in a few minutes. But verse 35, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life on account of me and of the gospel will save it. 
For what does it profit a person to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? For what can a person give in exchange for his life? I want to drill down a little bit. We know the Greek language, and I'm not going to start speaking Greek here, (laughs) but the Greek language, which most of the New Testament was written in, is a language that is extremely brilliant in its descriptive ability. When we read a word like love in English, we have one word, but in Greek, there's four words for love. When, there's, when we look at the word life here, this is not just talking about the life that we are, breathe, are breathing life. This is talking about something much more deeper. And so Jesus here, is, he's, saying, he's saying that um, if you want to be a disciple, and I just want to stop there for a second. I just want to say that our desire, my desire as a pastor, is to really walk out the great commandment. And what that is, is to go preach, teach, and make disciples. That is my primary purpose. That is my primary goal as a pastor. And that is, and making disciples is, may not be the most glorious thing. I think it'd be a lot easier to be a Christian and not a disciple. I'm not saying that disciples are an exclusive, hyper-spiritual, privileged group that get more blessings than other people. I'm just saying that in the New Testament, we see the word disciple multitude times more than the word Christian. And so it's very obvious that Christ is calling us into discipleship. He's calling us into something more than just a believing in Christ, which is, I think, really okay. There are people that are in a place in their life, and it does not mean that they're anything less in any way. I don't mean this in any way that way. But I think that it is very possible that we could just be in a place where I'm a believer in God, a believer in Jesus. And that's really as far as maybe my Christianity goes. I know that there's some precious people that are, that, you know, my wife is Polish, as you know, and when I lived in Pol- as Poland as a missionary, we met many Catholics that were just, they were truly saved. But really, they didn't understand the next step of discipleship. And, and so God, Christ is calling us into discipleship. This is the call of God to follow him. And I want to talk about that for a minute here. But discipleship, and this is the first thing I want to say this morning, discipleship equals self-denial and cross-bearing. Now, those are two terms, self-denial and cross-bearing, that are like, oh, and we have, these, we have these associations in our mind. For every word that you know in your vocabulary, there's an emotional association. When we say the word like cross-bearing or self-denial, there is, I think, when I said that, I'm sure that there must have been, it was in my heart for a minute, <laughs> there's this feeling in our, in our soul like, oh no, that's like, that's a heavy word. That's not a, that's not a great word. But here Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, if you want to be Christ-centered in your life, then there's a word here, discipleship, and that equals that equals something. And so I just want to say uh, five things this morning. What does it mean when Jesus said deny himself? What does, it, what does the ultimate cross-bearer mean to take up by? What does it mean when Jesus, the ultimate cross-bearer, is saying take up your cross? You must take up your cross. Uh, the third thing is Jesus' cross and our cross um, can they accomplish the same thing. The cross that Jesus bore, right, and the mission that Christ bore with his, the, the, the cross that Jesus bore, and us taking up our cross. Why is that different? And what does he mean when he says that? Why does, God, why does Jesus use such a harsh metaphor to describe discipleship? And why misunderstanding the cross leads to a self-centered Christianity and not Christ-centered Christianity? This is so important. And I think that when we vaguely understand what self-denial and cross-bearing means, discipleship is probably... When we think of that cross, when we think about just denying ourselves, we kind of have this idea that it's difficult and that our self, our self-life in some way is a problem. 
And if we rely on our own natural associations with these ideas and flesh them out, we're going to misunderstanding the meaning of Christ. And we're going to miss out the most amazing aspect of our Christianity, and that's the power of the cross. And guys, that's next Sunday. <laughs> I'm, going to t- I'm going to hit it on a little bit about today, about the power of the cross. But I think that, that it's very easy for us to look at the cross from only one side. There's two sides of the cross. The one side of the cross is death, and it's, to- it's, a, it's, it's absolute destruction. It's a total um, crucifixion of all of our successes and all of our failures. And it's an absolute, total um, judgment from God. And I think it's easy for us to look at that and just kind of say, and maybe only dwell on that part. But there's another part of the cross that Christ is calling us through to the other side, and that's the resurrection side. That's, so, that's the side that is so powerful in Christianity that if we don't understand the cross, what the power of the cross is, we're going to start getting into forms of power that have no power whatsoever. And we see that all the time, right? We see that all the time. And we're talking about what does what powerful mean in, in the meaning of, of the cross. And so we really need to understand what is the cross. And so I, this morning, and then just during this week, I, I think I came up with seven natural definitions that we can easily associate with what it means to deny ourselves or to take up our cross. We think, number one, that denying ourselves is really denying our desires. Okay? Okay, deny myself, I'm going to deny my desires. I have desires... You know, I, I understand I'm a fallen person and these, and these desires, I'm denying these de- desires, okay? Number two, um, self refers to us and what we want. So we add a direct object to when Jesus says deny himself so that we, it comes out, deny himself things, you know? Okay, deny yourself things, right? And I think this, is, this can happen at certain times of the year when we have a season called Lent, you know, where you know, we're at the office and say, hey, what are you going to give up for Lent? Well, I'm going to give up sugar, or I'm going to give up coffee, or I'm going to give up smoking, or I'm going to give up something else. Um, number three, material objects or immaterial things such as success, love, or meaningful work, denying the self's desires is a common misunderstanding of self-denial. Like instead of saying, okay, I'm denying, um, denying something, I'm denying, I'm denying something immaterial in my life, I'm denying love, or I'm denying... Um, success or, or meaningful work. Um, number four, sometimes we take it further. We ignore ourselves. Okay, like, like okay, I think, and this is what we do a lot of times. I th- I'm, a, I'm a parent, I'm re- relatively still a new parent. And I think sometimes it's easier to ignore something than rather address it, to confront it, to say, hey, this is this, and this is what we need to deal with. Because either there's fear, or no, maybe we don't even know how to deal with our own sin. And I'm sure that every one of us in this room, including my life, there are things that we wrestle with all the time. And sometimes we're in a place where like, God, what do I do with this? What do I do with this? I don't know what to do. And so we just, we think, okay, the cross means I'm just going to ignore myself. I'm just going to ignore my circumstance. And that's not the case. Here's another thing. Um, Cross bearing is number five, sometimes understood as somebody may say like this, we all have our crosses to bear, right? Sometimes to apply to difficulties, Sometimes we joke about it, like, you know, my wife and I recently went to um, Florida, and, and my wife and I, we were missionaries in some pretty hard places, you know, in Ukraine and, and some places that were just really very difficult places. And when we moved to Texas as tech missionaries, we kind of joked a little bit, because life here is so great, you know? And <laughs> we just kind of joked, like, it's a tough life. We have a tough cross here to bear in Texas as missionaries. 
And that, I mean, we joke about that, but that is not a proper definition of what is the cross. I think sometimes when we, we express frustration over minor inconveniences, such as like something that a family member does. Well, that's a cross that I have to bear. Or maybe somebody can associate the cross with temptations. Well, I have these temptations, or they use these word demons in the closet, which I don't like that term at all. Long-term sickness or difficult relationships, that's my cross. I, I would say that Jesus is talking about something else. It's not people. Um, and so what we, kinda, we can try to do, number six, is we can try to allegorize the cross and kind of like refer it to some way that it's a difficulty or something that's unpleasant. And then number seven, and this is really the most extreme and the most serious, cross-bearing becomes a reference to how discipleship equals pain. Okay? Discipleship equals pain. No pain, no gain. Okay? And I think that we need to really understand the cross because that will lead a person into the road of asceticism, which we can see in medieval times or may extreme religiosity where I'm just living in massive self-denial because I'm, I don't understand my value of my soul. I don't understand God's thoughts towards me. So I'm living in some kind of, of, of this um, um, uh, twisted spirituality where I have to punish myself to be spiritual. But let's look at what the text says here. Look at the word here, deny, in, Matthew, in, in Mark chapter 8. And this word here, deny, <clears throat> is a Greek word. And guess what? This is really amazing. Very interesting uh, it's something I learned this week. It always refers, or it has overtones of association to a connection with a person, not a thing. Denying, when Jesus here is talking, he's using a word, aporenomai, which means to deny a relationship. Not a thing, not a situation, not a feeling, but a relationship. And it's always referring to a particular person or individual. It also has another meaning of disowning something or renouncing something. And it's used, it's used when, Jesus, uh, when Peter denies Jesus. He's disowning, he's denying, he is, he is, re, he is rejecting, he is, he is not admitting to a relationship with Jesus Christ. So self-denial is this intentional disowning of self. This is what Peter is saying. He's saying, uh, I'm sorry, Jesus is saying in the book of Mark, he's saying that denial is actually an intentional disowning of our self-life. Okay, of ourself, or stepping away from a relationship where self is the primary. Jesus is not making a statement whether self is bad or good, but about what we are closely associated with. What do I love? What am I intimately in, in, in engaged with in my mind? What is my allegiance? Really, that's what it comes down to. Christ or my self-life. This would be a good time to look at this word life. This is mentioned a few times in the text, the word life, right? He says, what um, in, in Mark chapter 8, what, is a, what does a person benefit to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? I think in the um, King James, it points out the word soul. And that's the proper translation because soul is this Greek word that is used, suki, or like what we use, psychology, that, Greek, that root that we use for psychology, that self-life of ours, the way we think and process life. Jesus is saying here to deny yourself, not denying your physical, biological life, but denying your self-life, your soul life, that part of us that is just the intimate part of who we are. What does it gain a person for him to gain the whole world but lose his soul? 
And what does that mean? I think that the world, and we know this, the world is just out there. It's selling us a package. Uh, live in this experience, and you're going to have this experience internally. Uh, give us something. Give the world something. Give us your money, your resources, your youth, your, uh, your, your focus, your concentration, your worship. And as we do that, we are losing capacity, and we're losing value, and we're losing the intimacy and the purity that we have in our soul. For example, I think when the, when the world is soliciting something through its commercial approach, um, when the devil or when the flesh, when someone's flesh is soliciting something to us and we say yes to it because we're going to get something out of it, guess what happens? We lose a part of our soul. We lose a part of us. We lose a part of ourselves to respond to God. And this is what Christ is saying. What, is it going to, what does it gain a person to lose their soul? And what happens at the end of a life of serious decisions like that, a person finds himself used, abused, and of no value whatsoever. And then there's no friends. And that's because the world, the flesh, and the devil do not value your soul like Christ values your soul. And so when here the word is talking about life, it's referring to our soul life. And our soul has five parts. It has, it's the mind it's our emotions. It's our, it's our conscience where, where we have our criteria for making our decisions. It has our, um, it has our, it has our uh, mind, emotions, conscience. It has um, the, I'm missing two, <laughs> a self-image. Because our soul is making up our self-image, how we think about ourselves. And our decision maker, which is the will, our volition. These are the five parts of our soul. And the world and, and our, the enemy of our soul is soliciting this at a consistent, on a consistent basis. And so when we talk about, when Jesus talks about the practice of cross-bearing, we need to take a look at this. And I think that this will really open up for us. What does it mean to take up our cross in a practical way? Jesus makes this statement about taking up one's cross before he was crucified. Okay? He's talking about this before he was crucified. And this is important because when Jesus said to the audience, the people in Matthew chapter, Mark chapter 8 that he's calling and his disciples. He's saying that you need to take up your cross, bear your cross. And another part in the gospel, she says daily. Now, what is he referring to here? Crucifixion was reserved specifically for offenders who had rebelled against authority. I get this. This is really good. To take up one's cross refers to the practice of forcing a condemned person to carry the cross beam to his execution site. This was something that he had to carry to the cross where he was going to be crucified. This showed that although he had rebelled against authority and broke the law, the condemned person was now so completely conquered that as his last act of life, he would carry the instrument of his demise to the place of his death. It was to show, and this is the, most, this is the main point I want to make this morning. If there's anything that you get out of this, just get this that it was a show of complete and utter submission, totally conquered, to be under the, uh, the, under the authority of the cross. A call to bear one cross as part of following Jesus then is a call to be submitted to Christ as the condemned criminal was on his way to death. When Jesus took up his cross, when Jesus is talking about taking up your cross, he was saying, surrender to the fact that you are a sinner condemned to die 
that, you, that we have, whether we have physically done it or not, we've disobeyed every Ten Commandment there is and every other commandment in the Bible, and that to understand that we are completely sinners, that we are completely lost. Romans chapter 10, well, I love this verse. It says this, is it? Uh, Romans chapter 11, I'm sorry. It says that God has concluded all in unbelief. Everyone, the best guy, the worst guy, the nicest person, the, the most nasty person, we are on the same level of sinnerhood. Even though we've never walked out some of these things that we see people do, we are just as guilty of doing them because we are associated to the human race. We have been, we have, it's been, it has been decided by God as the great judge that we have fallen, on, we have failed everything. And therefore, there is a cross, there is a judgment, there is a sentence of death that is on our lives. Even before, and Jesus is talking about this, he said, take up your cross. And did you know that even though Jesus never committed any sin, that he was perfect 100%, that he was guilty just by associating himself with us? Did you know that? Like, he was guilty by association. He was guilty because even though he ne- sin never came out of his mouth and maybe... And never anything ever, he never committed sin with his body. He was guilty by association because of the love of God that sent Christ towards us. Christ came to bear our sins and he became, a, he became guilty by association. Jesus, from the moment he was born, and we know the Christmas story, right? He was wrapped in swaddling clothes and these swaddling clothes, this, this material, it was, used, it was used to also bury people. Jesus was born surrounded and comforted, and he was, he was born in death, born to die. And that's it. that was the life of Christ every day. He was taking up his cross. His cross was to walk out the plan of God, the submission to the plan of God. This is such a beautiful theological point, that Jesus submitted to the absolute plan of God, and that's the cross. The cross is submission to the plan of God, and in Christ's case, it was death. What is, why death for Christ? Because he was paying for the sins of the world, right? What does the cross mean for us? Okay, I'm taking up the cross and I'm paying for the sins of the world. No. The cross, and we're going to see this in a minute, means that I'm surrendering to the plan of God. What is God's plan for my life? Right? Galatians 2.20, right? To be crucified with Christ and alive, to be crucified, to, my, to be crucified in Christ and to be alive unto God's plan. But let's look at this practically is that when you and I take up our cross, Jesus was taking up something that was going to happen in his future. We're taking up a fact that happened in the past. That's what it means for us to take up our cross. It means that I'm surrendering to the fact that there's no good thing in me. There's nothing in my life that is good outside of God, that I am a, I am a sinner. And I think that for most of us in the room, if not all of us, I think we understand that we're sinners. And I think that the quicker that we agree with God about our problems in our life is the quicker that we can experience grace and the victory. What does that mean? I think that sometimes, because we live in a kind of religious culture, don't we? We live kind of in a moral culture where we're all really trying to be, drive nicely as best as we can, be good neighbors, uh, pay our taxes or do the best we can with everything in our life and just to be good people and not to be bad people. But I think that there are things that come up in our life that are just these monsters that just cannot be controlled by natural ability, by natural help, by the self-help gospel. You know, just do this and you'll be you'll just be, you'll do this and you'll be and you'll be OK. No, I think there's a moment in our life where there's things in our life or something in our life that is just so impossible, whether it's anger, whether it's something else in our life, it's so impossible for us to overcome 
The first step in victory is when we say, God, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I'm guilty as, as I am guilty as judged. Lord, I'm a sinner. I, I'm a sinner and there's just nothing that I can even change in my life to change that situation. Right? You got it? There's nothing in our life. There's nothing that I can do. We can change our circumstances. We can actually change our behavior. And I think that we see a lot in Christianity, just messages and sermons about like, like, you know, like how to modify your behavior. But that's not spirituality. That's not a transformed life. Because a, an unsaved pagan can do that. They can stop sinning, but they're not righteous. They don't know God. And they don't know the power of the cross. And so therefore, when we talk about, when we talk about the cross is that we, we submit and we surrender like, Lord, I'm in your will, but this thing is conquering my life. Therefore, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there's no condemnation. And when we understand that we are sinners that we stand before a holy God and that we, are not being, that we are no longer objects of his wrath coming down on us, you know, it's an amazing thing because of Christ paying for our sins because of the cross. Um, my son's four years old and sometimes he'll do things and he'll have this look on his face like he's looking at me and he's doing something. He's walking across the room. <laughs> I'm like, Caleb, what are you doing, man? You know, how you doing? What's going on? And he'll have this look in his eyes like, you know, he's watching me. And it's almost kind of like this, can I get away with it? Am I going to get in trouble? Am I loved? You know, my son said to me the other day, maybe like three, four months ago, he said, Daddy, I'm still your son, right? I go, yeah, of course. He goes, and then he asked me again like a couple hours later. He goes, Daddy, I'm still your son, right? And I know what was going on in his mind. And I said, yes, you're my son. You'll be my son forever. And you'll never, there's never be a time that you won't be my son. He's adopted. And we adopted when he was 10 months. And, and so like, like around dinner time, he goes, he goes, daddy, I'm your son forever, right? I'm your son. And he was so happy. Like it was this major dawning in his mind that, that he was in a family and that there would be never a moment that he'd be condemned or rejected. And there was this freedom and joy in his face and not this question. When we sin, when we, we, when we sin, when we understand that we're sinners and maybe we haven't even sinned, but we just understand that there's this thing that we wrestle with. We need to understand Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there's no condemnation. And that we stand before a holy God, loved and beloved and cherished with the blood of Christ on us. And what does that make us want to do? It doesn't make me want to sin. It makes me want me to get on my face before the Lord and thank the Lord and worship. And that's what the cross means. The cross means I totally surrender to the judgment of God in my life, that there's no way to make this happen. And then there's the other side of the cross, and that is that... I surrender to the fact that my sins are paid for, that I don't need to try to make it. I don't try, need to try to work harder to feel better about myself. I don't need to try to change something in my life to, be a, to have a better self-image about myself. You know what I'm saying? Because we're loved. We're loved. And there's nothing that could ever change that. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. And it's impossible. And for some of us that are thinking this, and, and, and I'm sure it comes across our mind, it's impossible for me to know God to walk in his grace, to walk in his love, and to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and at the same time to walk in sin. It's just impossible. It's like, it's like oil and water don't mix. It's just impossible. Either I'm going to love one and I'm not going to love the other, or vice versa. That doesn't mean I'm losing my salvation. It just means I'm not functioning in the joys of my, of my salvation, and I'm bro- I have broken fellowship with God. But the moment that I acknowledge it in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, and I say, Lord, this is what your word says, and this is what the word confession means. It means to agree with God. 
And when I say, God, I agree with you on this. This is what your word says about this thing. But woe is me, Romans chapter 7. I want to do the thing. I want, to, I want to do the right thing, but I can't. And I don't want to do the wrong thing, but that's what I keep wanting to do. That's Romans chapter 7. And what's the exit for Paul? Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is no, now, there's no, there's no condemnation for those that are... For those that are in Christ, there's no condemnation. There's no condemnation. And this is the power of the cross when we understand that our sins are paid for. And so this is what Jesus means when he's calling for self-denial. And I'm going to wrap it up with this. He's claiming all authority. Okay. Remember the cross bearer is taking the cross. It is the, it is the final scene of the judgment of authority that he has offended. Well, Jesus says that God has all has condemned it has concluded all in unbelief that he what? Romans chapter 11, verse, I think it's 23, that he might have mercy upon all. And when we surrender to that authority, following Christ means I'm disowning myself and giving allegiance to this cross, which means it is something that happens in the very depths of my being. And this is amazing because when Jesus, and I'm going to close with this, when Jesus says, let him deny, this is the aorist middle imperative, now, usually I don't talk about Greek grammar here, but what it means here is, is that let him, there's three things, let him deny himself. Number two, take up his cross. And number three, follow. And I want to finish with these three things. Let him deny himself. This is an aorist middle imperative. What this means is, the aorist tense means that something has happened in the past with lasting effects. This is a past event that he's pointing to. Jesus is saying, let him deny himself. This is something that has happened. This is a mindset. And it's the middle tense, which means, you know, when something is in the middle tense, it means that like that I am doing something, but I'm also getting help. I'm actually there. I'm, there's a participation in that activity. Like I say to my son, hey, son, let's go clean your room. And he goes, no, daddy. And I said, I'll go upstairs and clean it with you. And there's this participation. And then it seems like he just he just comes alive and he wants to clean his room himself. There's this middle act. There's this middle. There's this participatory action. And the imperative is, is that you must if I want to know God and enjoy the, the riches and the fruit of the salvation that I have in Christ, it's imperative that I say no to my, my soul life, that I'm not living in my soul. Number two, it says, take up his cross. And this here is also, again, in the aorist, but it's not the middle. It's action. That means that this is you do. This is what you do. Okay? Deny yourself. I can't deny myself, but the Holy Spirit can, can quicken us. And we are in the body of Christ and there's this joy and this fellowship and there's this participatory thing going on in the body of Christ. And I'm getting set free from, and I can say no to things in my life. But then Jesus says, take up your cross. And this is the aorist. It means I want you to reckon on something that happened before. And that's the cross of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. Reckon on that. You're not going to be dying for the sins of people or for your family or for your own sins. This has already happened. Take that, take that up. Reckon yourself dead in Christ. And, then the, and this is the action. Like, this is what you and I do. This is, my, this is what I do every day. Take up your cross. And then it says, follow. And this is really cool. I love the way Jesus ends this in the sentence. Take up his cross. Follow. Follow. And this is a present tense. This is an active. And this is an imperative. Present tense means this is what I'm doing all the time. It's a practice in my life. Yeah, I fall down. Okay, I fall down. Okay, but I get back up. I draw near to God. Follow. You know what Christianity is? In, in, in just, just this, it is Christ's occupation. Absolutely in being, following him. Just, it's all about Christ. It's like, it's not about me getting better. 
Because that, that was settled 2,000 years ago. That was settled in the, with the Ten Commandments. There's no way that you can make yourselves better. It's impossible. Okay? But Christ's occupation is, is that when we, when, we, when we get Christ, when we follow him, there's this particip- participatory action going on in my life. And I'm denying myself. And I'm taking up my cross. And I'm following him present active. Meaning today, I'm going to, produce, I'm going to intentionally follow Christ. I'm going to look away from all of that. Remember when Jesus said, into my hands, into thy hands, I commit my spirit. That's what the cross life is. It's like there's things that we just cannot handle. And we say, God, I can't handle my sin. I can't handle temptation. I can't handle this person's sin. I can't handle that situation. I can't handle our finances. I can't handle any of this. I'm just committing that to you. And I'm going to just just stop trying to get my hands in that. I'm going to commit it to you. And I'm going to just by faith just surrender to your ability and say, God, you're going to do this. And I don't know how you're going to do that. But for some reason, especially men, I know we struggle with this. We want control. We want to make it happen ourselves. We want to feel good about ourselves because we did it and we didn't need anybody else's help. The power of the cross is, is that I'm occupied with Christ. And when I, get to, when I discover his beauty, when I discover what he's doing in miracles, when I discover when he says to the, to the woman that was caught in adultery, Go and sin no more. I don't think she ever lived in that sin anymore. Do you know why? Because she understood the total, um, the total authority of her sinfulness. And Jesus was the only one that could judge her. And he says, neither do I condemn you. And that's what sets people free from sin. Condemnation, guilt trips, that doesn't help us. Accountability groups, that helps. But what really sets us free is when we get occupied with the holy, lovely Christ who who is so beautiful and so amazing and so powerful and so able that when that happens in our life, we, we become Christ-centered people and that's when we start living a very powerful life. And I'm just gonna give you just a, just a tidbit about what I wanna talk about next week is that that's when we discover power in our life. That's when we discover the most powerful thing in the universe. And you know what that is? I think it's forgiveness. I can't forgive someone in my flesh. I can't. I can try to ignore it. I can do all these other things, these seven things we talked about. But I can't do it. But when I know Christ and I know the power of his forgiveness in my life, then I can, I can freely forgive. And that's very powerful. What's more powerful than an atom bomb? I think the ability for someone to go to another person and exercise forgiveness and say, you know something that hurt, that crushed me, that just, I lost money or I just this whole situation happened. And they say, you know something, because I'm forgiven, because I'm forgiven much. I forgive you because that's what I owe you, forgiveness. That is the most powerful thing in the universe. That's the most powerful life is to be able to get out of bed in the morning and say, you know what, Jesus is alive and I don't need to live in depression or envy. I have everything that I need. Christ is enough for me. Amen. So, Father, thank you, God, for just the power of the cross.